Our second reading this morning uh, is from the Acts of the Apostles. I will be reading uh, chapter 24, verses 22 to 27. So hear the word of God. Then Felix, who was well informed about the way, brought the hearing to a close. When the commander Lysias arrived, he told them, I will decide your case. He ordered the officer in charge of Paul to keep him under guard, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to provide for his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he talked about faith in Christ Jesus. But as Paul went on discussing about goodness, self-control, and the coming day of judgment, Felix was afraid and said, You may leave now. I will call you again when I get the chance. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would give him some money, and for this reason, he would call him often and talk with him. After two years had passed, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix as governor. Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jews, so he left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, gathering us here this day, and we thank you for your word. Thank you for this testimony about um, the Apostle Paul and and the Governor Felix. Lord, we pray uh, as we take a look at your word this morning that uh, your voice would speak to us, and we would know what it is that you want us to know, and that we would be active and eager and responsive uh, to your word this day. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing in our sermon series through the Acts of the Apostles uh, this morning. As Rebecca said in the announcements, uh, for the next four weeks we're going to take a pause on that and uh, do a topical series on, on the gifts of the Spirit. But uh, today we continue in our sermon series uh, through the Acts of the Apostles. And I was caught by a single word or maybe a single idea that was in this passage. And I, so I want to lift it up uh, to, to you. The, uh, the, the verse is, uh, verse 25, as Paul went on discussing about goodness, self-control, and the coming of day of judgment, Felix was afraid. And it surprised me a little. I mean, Felix is a Roman governor. He has soldiers at his command. Uh, what does he have to fear? I mean, Paul is the one who should be afraid. I mean, Paul's the one uh, who will get his head cut off uh, in not too many days. Uh, and yet we see this powerful man uh, fearful because of Paul's preaching. And so what I wanted to look at this uh, morning was fear, the fear of God in the course of our human mm, journey toward God. Okay, so I want to begin by looking at a few uh, Old Testament passages and New Testament passages that talk about fear in one way and that talk about fear in another because I sometimes feel like we have an ambiguous relationship to the fear of God. I think probably the verse that we all know, the, the most famous verse is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so Psalm 111 verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Scripture says a lot about the fear of the Lord. Maybe you know this verse. This is Psalm 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
And then Psalm 119, verse 120. So you remember that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. This entire psalm is a praise of the law of God. And we hear we hear the psalmist sing, My flesh trembles for fear of you. I am afraid of your judgments. Now sometimes when you hear the fear of the Lord discussed, you know, we want to kind of soft pedal the fear of the Lord. To treat it as, you know, some kind of reverence or respect, but not a shaking in your boots fear. But I think Psalm 119.120 makes it clear that actually when the Bible is talking about the fear of the Lord, it is talking about a shaking in your boots kind of the fear. My flesh trembles for fear of you, King David says. Now this isn't only an Old Testament idea. We see it also in the New Testament. Jesus says, this is Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, the unnamed person there, of course, is Almighty God. Fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. That's the words of Jesus and then the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.17 uh, writes a kind of summing up statement for the church. Honor everybody, love the brotherhood or love the church, fear God, and honor the emperor. Okay, so these are all uh, passages of scripture that talk about why the fear of God is an important part of, of our life as faithful people. But scripture also mm, talks about not fearing, about being free of fear. Probably the most famous verse in this regard is uh, from the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And then in the New Testament... Paul speaking to Timothy, this is 1 Timothy 1.7, Paul reminds Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then in our reading this morning from uh, 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, so kind of two mm, seemingly opposing ideas about the fear of God that we see in Scripture. Let's be clear what we mean by fear, first of all. Fear is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's a feeling that something bad is about to happen. Fear is an anticipation that some kind of evil or some kind of trouble is about to befall us. And I think we see in Scripture four stages in our journey to from being away from God to being in God's glory, four stages that have different uh, relationships to fear. So I want to, in our sermon this morning, talk through these four stages of fear that we find in the Christian journey. Let me just name them for you quickly and then we'll walk through them a little more fully. The first stage is indifference. I don't, I don't have any fear because God doesn't really matter. God doesn't scare me. Indifference. The second stage is conviction. 
There's a fearful awareness of God's impending judgment. We call that conviction. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Okay, that's the fear of conviction from amazing grace. And then third, we have conversion or regeneration. After that fear of conviction, there can come a moment when we confess our sins to God and we turn to Him, and in response to that, He frees us of our fear. And instead of being afraid of God, we become secure in God and secure in God's protection. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved." Okay, so there are two stages there of our relationship with fear. And then finally, uh, I think uh, worship is a stage of holy fear, a kind of mm, overwhelmedness with God, a kind of wow with God that can be uh, fearful in an amazing way. So let's take a walk through these uh, step by step. Indifference. I've been reading uh, the Minor Prophets um, this past week, and I ran upon this great passage. This is Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will do no good, nor will he do evil. Okay, so this this is a prophecy of judgment against Jerusalem. And the prophecy of judgment begins uh, against these people who are like, Ah, oh, whatever. Why do I worry about God? God's not going to bother me. I mean, He's not going to do anything good for me. He's not going to do anything bad to me. They are settled in their complacency. We can have a kind of indifference to things of God. We can think that, you know, God is uninvolved or that God is unconcerned about us, that He doesn't really care Or maybe we think that God is toothless and impotent. Or maybe we think that God is too nice to judge or to punish. And of course, all of those situations are situations where you actually have someone who believes in God. I guess a more extreme version would be someone who doesn't even believe that there is a God. Okay, so even amongst people who believe in God, this person that Zephaniah is speaking to believes in God, but just doesn't think God matters. God is neither going to do good, nor will he do evil. It's no big deal. I'm not worrying about it. Indifference. I think this is uh, the beginning step in our relationship to fear. The second step, it's an important step, is the step of conviction. There comes a time in many people's lives when they realize three things together. Number one, that God's law is real. And that God's law doesn't change. And that number two, that I haven't lived according to God's law. And that number three, that God punishes law breakers. Okay? When those three things come together, a recognition that God's law is real, a recognition that I haven't lived according to God's law, and a recognition that God punishes law breakers, all of a sudden I have a problem. This is the God problem that I was born into. I was born into this world in a state of sin. I was born with original sin, and then I kept heaping up on top of my original sin uh, all of the sins that I wanted to do. And at some point, it dawned on me, you know what? I have a problem with God. 
It's called conviction. And it comes by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of God's Word. That's what we see happening in our reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Paul is with Governor Felix and he's talking about these things with Felix. He's talking about righteousness and goodness and the coming judgment. And at some point, this very powerful, this very sophisticated, this very educated man becomes very fearful. Because he realizes, oh yeah, God is real and God's law is real and God does punish lawbreakers and I'm a lawbreaker. Alright? It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is very uncomfortable. Maybe you remember that time in your life when you were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's a fearful condition. People who are under conviction, they're not happy. Alright? They know that something is off and they're unsettled about it. Now the thing is, in a nice church that's afraid of making people feel uncomfortable, there never will be preaching of anything that convicts of sin. I mean, you can spend a lot of time in Scripture and entirely avoid the subject of sin. But however, if we're going to have a relationship with God, that relationship is going to have to pass through this stage of conviction of sin. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. You all know that line from the hymn, Amazing Grace. And you all know the story of John Newton. John Newton was a British citizen. He was involved in the slave trade. He had a nasty, sinful life. And at some point... Under the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit began to convict him of the sin in his life. And he realized what a miserable wretch he was and how much danger he was in. That God's judgment would come one day. And that grace of God which convicted him of his sin, that grace of God which made him feel very uncomfortable, that grace of God which made him unhappy and fearful... That grace of God is one of the steps that led him to his salvation. So the second stage, so the first stage would be indifference. The second stage would be conviction. A third stage that comes is conversion or regeneration. And grace, my fears relieved. You know, We don't know what happened to the governor, Felix. We know from the historical record that he was a very corrupt man. We know that he was responsible for the murder of of Jonathan, the high priest in Jerusalem. In in the little story that we have here, we see him uh, actually angling to take bribes from the apostle Paul. He is a, a man who has a guilty conscience. When he sees the law presented to him, he's stung in his conscience and he's fearful and he's uncomfortable in this encounter with the gospel that Paul preaches. And he tells, and, and scripture tells us that he's fearful and he sends Paul away at that time. Now he keeps calling him back. Maybe he converted. I don't know. We don't know what, what, what happens to him. But the stage has been set. For the possibility of him being converted, their stage has been set for the possibility of him being saved and spending eternity with God in heaven. Alright? 
But that stage is that uncomfortable stage of conviction. After conviction comes conversion and regeneration. Those of you who've been through that process know how that happened. It, it can happen in different ways for different people, but there, there comes a breakthrough where the fear and the anxiety become replaced with joy and celebration and freedom and lightness, the burden of the sin and the guilt that we carry all of a sudden are gone. Once we realize that in Christ there's been offered to us this possibility that, you know, that sin that, that we have committed and that we carry around on us and that we will have to pay for one day, we can hand that off to Christ. He can bear it on the cross for us. And when that moment happens, sometimes we call it being born again. Sometimes it's called being regenerated. Sometimes it's called conversion. Whenever, whatever you call it, when that moment of change happens, our status before God changes. Up to that time, we're a sinner under a death sentence. We're an enemy of God. And after that time, we are a child of God and a friend of God. We go from being guilty to being forgiven. We go from being in danger of damnation to being bound for glory. Psalm 32. Let me read that for you. Maybe you know this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now this is David speaking here, of course. David, a man who knew a closeness with God, but also had a lot of sin in his life. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones grew weary. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not kept hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. While he was living under conviction but not confessing his sin, he feels oppressed by God. It's a miserable state to be in. But finally the Holy Spirit leads David and he turns to God. He's afraid of God because God is the one who could punish him. But he turns to God because God is the one who can save him too. And he confesses his sin and he has this feeling of dramatic lightness and relief. The relief from fear of punishment is probably the hallmark feature of conversion. We get a little taste of this in John's uh, first epistle. Let me read a couple verses for you. You have it there in your bulletins if you want to take a look along. In verse 10, John says this, This is what love is. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the means by which our sins are forgiven. Look, the gospel is a somewhat complicated thing. But the gospel begins with a recognition that there's a law and that we haven't fulfilled the law. That creates the problem. The solution to the problem is is that 
the Son of God can be the means by which our sins are forgiven. This can solve this problem. If you were going to try to solve our sin problem by just, you know, being on our, on our best behavior or turning over a new leaf, that's doomed, but we can recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, and then we can have our sins forgiven. And then down in verse 17 and 18. Love is made perfect in us in order that we may have courage on the judgment day. Judgment Day is the moment after the resurrection. We're going to be raised from the dead and immediately stand in front of Jesus who will judge the whole world. It'll be a great day for some of us. And for others, it'll be a day of terror. Love is made perfect in us in order that we may have courage on the Judgment Day. And we will have it because our life in this world is the same as Christ. This has to do with union with Christ. By faith in Christ... His perfect record becomes ours. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. So then, love has not been made perfect in anyone who is afraid because fear has to do with punishment. We begin this journey in indifference. We're not afraid of God because we think God's impotent or there isn't a God or God doesn't care or whatever. We're just not interested in God. And then in that second stage, the stage of conviction, we become afraid of God. We realize, yeah, we have a problem with God and and that if we don't get this problem straightened out, we will face his judgment one day. And then in this third stage, the stage of conversion or regeneration... The fear goes away. The fear has to do with punishment. And the possibility of being punished has disappeared. Because our sins are forgiven. And so the fear gives way to perfect love. And then we love him because he loved us first. Conversion and regeneration give us a relief from fear and punishment. And then finally, I, you know, in thinking about this, I realized that there's another kind of fear that some kinds of fear are not so good and some kinds of fear are uh, actually kind of wonderful when we pursue them. But I think the fourth kind of fear that we have in the Christian life is the fear that we, uh, of the holy fear or the awe or the wonderment that we can have in times of, of worship. There's an old-fashioned word which we don't use so much anymore, and it's the word sublime. It means to stand in front of something that is so enormous that it kind of overwhelms you, but is still wonderful in that. Like standing in a great storm that's blowing all around you that could destroy you, but you're in a safe place. Or standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and looking at the sweep and the grandeur of the thing, but still feeling safe. Or frankly, riding on a roller coaster strapped in really well and you're taking this kind of wild ride. There's a feeling, this sublime feeling is a kind of holy fear. It's a fear that won't destroy us, but it's a fear of wonderment. That isn't this, isn't this great and isn't this wonderful. And I think in our Christian life there can be these moments when we just are amazed by God and wonder at Him. 
This past week, I uh, had somebody contact me with a, a little testimony of what had happened uh, in their life. They had been praying about something in their life, something that was very important to them. Something that they had lost and they were asking God to give back to them. And it just didn't seem like this was possible for this to ever happen. Uh, and they were almost ready to give up uh, hope and give up praying about this issue. And maybe God just wanted them to uh, uh, lean on Him and, and, and not have this thing in their life. But they prayed again for this good thing. That was important to them. They kind of prayed a Hail Mary pass. We're not sure this one's going to work, but let's try it. We have nothing to lose. And that prayer was answered in a very dramatic and unexpected way suddenly this week. And so this person wrote to me and they began by saying, I'm so happy that I haven't known what to say without emoting all over the place. This is how the the message began and then they began to describe uh, this thing that they had been praying about for such a long time. And they closed their email to me by saying, knowing God really listens to us and does things, wow! God is so amazing, it scares me sometimes. It's a kind of holy fear. It's a kind of like amazed over being overwhelmed by the presence of God in your life. God is a big God. And if we stand in a relationship with God that has been mediated by Jesus Christ, then we can stand in in the in His presence and not be destroyed. If we didn't have Christ in our lives, we would be destroyed. And it's like standing in this overwhelming, beautiful storm... And being safe in the midst of that and just going, wow, look at God. Look what he can do. Isn't he amazing? My hope is is that all of you at some point in your life will come to that place of awestruck, holy fear and worship. This morning I was reminded of a, of a hymn that, uh, we used to sing a lot in my church growing up, back when I went to a Baptist church. Those of you who are Baptists will know this hymn. It begins this way, and I think in the course of this hymn, it really does lay out these four steps. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. That's the indifference. At some point in our lives, we're indifferent to God. We don't know or we don't care about who God is or what he's done. That's a first stage. And then in the second verse, by God's word at last, my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. That's the, that's the fear of conviction. Okay. If you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to not avoid this stage of conviction. There are a lot of people who shut out God and shut out the message of the gospel because they know that it's convicting and they don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what it is that God has to say to me about my life, you know, and so I'm la la la, I'm not listening to God. 
Okay, I did this for a long stretch in my life. Rather than being convicted of the sin in my life, I chose to run away from God. If that's you, I would encourage you to, you know, suck it up and not be afraid and allow yourself to be afraid. Because that conviction, the, the fear of that conviction, is actually what leads to God's peace at, at, at one point. And then in verse 4, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. This song just turns to this kind of ecstatic praise at some point. Okay? Look what God did. At one point, I didn't care about God. At another point, God woke me up to the problem in my life. And then, by His Spirit, He led me to repentance, to salvation, to being born again, to conversion. And then after that, all I can do, I can just sing God's praises. That's my job now. I'm just going to sing God's praises. It's a good place to be. Okay? I don't know what stage you are in those four steps. Everyone's someplace in those four steps. You may be indifferent. Maybe you're under conviction. Maybe you're running from God. Maybe you're making excuses with God. Maybe you've been saved and converted. And then that fear has been replaced by peace. And I'm hoping that if that's you, that you also then are enjoying that time of worship where we just sing God's praises. Because God is amazing. It scares me sometimes. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and adore you. And we thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for seeking us out in many different places and drawing us to yourself. And Lord, we pray that we would have a healthy fear of you, that we would have a holy fear. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sins and lead us to repentance. I pray that we would know you as the the giver of good gifts and as the savior of our souls. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.